What is a sola anyway, right? Isn't it a day on the planet Mars? That's what Mark Watney taught me on the movie. That's not what it is. I can't remember what it is. I'm rambling. This is the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I am Seth, your host, and I am thankful that you downloaded this show and this episode of this show of all the other millions of podcasts in the internet. And uh, I appreciate you very much so. So my friend Keith Giles wrote a book called Sola Mysterium. It was not what I expected. I don't know what I expected, but as I read through it, one, I really, really enjoyed it. Like a lot enjoyed it. Um, I have both the digital copy and then I have the paper copy because I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed this conversation. There was not a thing that I could snip out like I normally do and put at the beginning of the episode because there is a lot here and there's a lot in the book. And so hold in your mind Sola Mysterium and and wonder yourself, what the heck is that? And hold that intention as you come into the episode because I think it's going to be helpful in you and I's headspace. And so with that, let's pivot right into the episode with Keith Giles. Keith Giles. I don't know if you saw that in the invite for the Zoom link. That is the title of the Zoom link that I sent was the Keith Giles is joining the show. Yeah. Because when you put the in front of it, Uh it makes it a big thing, right? I guess it does. (laughs) Like the Ohio State University, you know. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Either way. Um, I don't remember how many times you've been on the show. We said it before I was recording more than three, less than six. So let's call it, let's call it whatever. Yeah. You almost get a free kids meal my or punch, something now my punch yeah my punch card is almost full i get a free something about bumper stickers yeah yeah i will i will print stickers and i will mail you one um Thank you. you you'll have the only one I'll, I'll, I'll. <laughs> so anyway in all seriousness welcome back to the show man glad to have you here uh, Seth, I always look forward to talking to you. So thank you so much. It's a, it's always a lot of fun. It is. Um, yeah, yeah. I I did not know that we were bringing drinks. So next time I'll I'll do better. I will do better next time. I mean, I don't know. Am I allowed to drink this on camera? You can it's do. Just, uh, it's just it, a child. It's holy. It's holy. It's holy. This is my old fashioned. Yeah. I would hate to have I, it get get weak on you as it melts. So yeah, that's true. Well, I have a pretty large ice cube in there, but uh, yes. It will melt slowly. I, and I, uh, I'll just full disclosure, I have one of these almost every night, uh, but before I, typically before I go to bed. Yeah. Um, and believe it or not, this is actually, we did the research. Um, you can look it up. I encourage your listeners to look it up. It's good for, if you have high blood pressure, um, uh, apparently some whiskey is good for that. So, so I have one. I enjoy one. the whiskey. I'm, I'm not opposed to the whiskey. I I mean, we we established that I recognized your drink from its brief stint. So (laughs) I'm not opposed to the whiskey. Anyway, what's been new, man? It's been it's been gosh, it's probably been over a year since you were on the show. So what is new for you? Oh, man. Well, over the last year, I don't know what's super new. I will go on and give you a it may not be much of a scoop because we we were also saying before we hit record, we're not sure when this is between the time we're recording this and when it'll come out. But I I think I'm safe to 
to tell at least you something that you probably don't know, and it may or may not be the first time <clears throat> your listeners have heard of it. Um, but what's new for me in the, in the last six months or eight months is that um, uh, Matthew DeStefano and myself will uh, will become the new co-owners of Choir Publishing um, very soon. That's cool. And um, at least as of January of 2023. So we are uh, gearing up for all of that and, um, yeah, getting ready to, uh, to take it to the next level. That's a lot. So that's a, that's a lot. I don't know anything about publishing anything. Um, I sometimes think I could write something and that's even intimidating, which is funny when you just breathe out books, it appears when I look at how quickly you write books. Um, that's a big deal. What makes you want to buy a book publishing company or I don't know if buy is the word acquire assume. Yeah. It's, it's not really, uh, it's, um, I'm not sure how much I, I can divulge, but, um, it's, it's essentially that Raphael Palindo who started choir, uh, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just grown to the point that, um, he has a day job that isn't choir. You know, he has a, he does other things to support that. his family. Mm-hmm. Um, he just had his second child a few months ago. Oh, that's uh, he's really busy with his day job and really felt like he was kind of holding back choir, that choir could could really be doing way more, but he's just not able. It doesn't have the bandwidth. Mm. So he approached Matt and I and said, if we asked if we'd be interested in in taking it over, and we both That's were cool. like, yes, yes, we will do that. So we will be, um, yeah, we'll be the new co-owners of choir, and um, That's cool. we're already slowly behind the scenes, you know, um, sort of uh, learning the ropes of all this stuff. So yeah, it's kind of odd because, you know, I started off self-publishing my books, I was so excited to get a publisher to, to, to be working with choir. And now in a weird way, I'm back to self-publishing because now it's I own the publishing company, but I, I know a lot more than I used to know. Yeah. Well, just even in like, when I think back on the history of the show, so some of the first guests were people from choir, um, mm-hmm. four or five, seven eight years ago, however many years it was. Um, so it's been fun to watch choir grow as well. I don't read all of the books, um, nor do I agree I, with I everything either. that comes out of all of the books, right, but that's, yeah. that's okay. I also, it, it's okay. Um, yeah. but that's cool, man. That's excellent. Yeah. And so you're back in Texas. Uh, and so that's really all that matters. Right. And then, yeah, yeah. Every, what else is new? You've written probably 27 more books since the last time we spoke because <laughs> you finished your Jesus on series. And I think, yeah, I don't remember the last, that, that would have been the last time you were on. Yeah. Um, Jesus Unarmed was the seventh and final book in that series. Yeah. And yeah. then, um, then I just wrote the book we're going to talk about. So Mysterium. Um, and I'm kind of in an odd place at the moment where, I mean, I'm working on several things, but, but I think for the first time in five years, I honestly do not know what my next book's going to be for mm. sure. Um, I mean, I'm working on a, uh, a series of articles that I'm doing every, every week, uh, through this thing called inner circle, uh, on Patheos and uh, it's a subscription only thing. So every week I, I write a commentary and article on one of the things of Jesus from the gospel of Thomas, which will eventually be a book. Um, I have an idea for a fiction uh, novel that I've been wanting to write for a mm. while. And I, that, that, that might be my next book. I don't know. And then, um, I'm actually even deciding that I think I might turn uh, Solo Mysterium into a, at least possibly a trilogy. Mm. So it might be a, a you can't help yourself. You cannot help yourself. I know, yourself. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've always got to be doing something, you know what I mean? I've got to be writing. I've always said this even. If you're a writer, writers write. Um, I know a lot of people that say I'm a writer, but then they don't, they don't blog, they don't journal, they don't, you know. You don't have to publish something, but you have to at least be writing. Mm-hmm. 
So for me, yeah, I've always got to be busy writing something, and uh, hopefully eventually some of those things turn into uh, a book down the road. So Yeah, so... In the so Solo Mysterium is the name of the book that you you what if, I think it was June May May mm-hmm. June July mm-hmm. I'm way behind because again it was, um, I, I decided I think it released, yeah the end of June or yeah June 28th something like that yeah I just decided to take a summer break and so I'm definitely way behind so we've missed the book launch and and that's my fault um, it's, it's okay so in the okay. in the order of of the six solas where does solo mysterium fit in there you know because we've got solo scriptura solo yeah. i don't remember all the solos and for those that aren't paying attention there are not six solas so there's five whatever there are five solas, I yeah, think. yeah yeah so what what should be the defining order there and where does mysterium kind of fit in um it, it kind of uh oh, that's an interesting question because like um when Luther came up with his five solos, Solar Mysterium was not one of them. So I'm sort of creating my own, mm-hmm. my new kind of thing. Like I feel like, um, at least for myself, at this point of where I'm at in my own kind of spiritual journey, Solar Mysterium is kind of one of my own personal solos, where I feel like, um, and and so what that would mean, Solar Mysterium is a reference to only mystery. Mm. Um, I, though I, I should say also that... Um, the, the Latin is wrong. The, the title, as I, David Bentley Hart is one of my heroes in the faith, uh, one of my favorite New Testament scholars. And um, when I sent him the book, uh, an advanced copy of the book, he let me know in no uncertain terms that Solo Mysterium, <laughs> and this is a quote, he said, it's gibberish. It doesn't, <laughs> that you can't say that. Uh, it's, it's, and he gave me this long reason why. Um, and he suggested two other, two other ways of saying it that were more accurate. Mm-hmm. in Latin. Yeah. But I determined, I just basically decided that most of my readers don't speak Latin. Correct. And I really like Solo Mysterium as a title. And, so, it's, my, and it's my book. So let's go with that. it's my book. So <laughs> tough. Uh, this, that's the title. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's meant to call attention to the solas as you, as you pointed out. Um, and I just feel like if we're going to talk about theology, and I say this early in the book, this is kind of the, kind of the thesis of the book. Anytime we're talking about theology, I think we have to be honest and humble and admit that theology, if theology is the discussion of God, then, and if God is by definition of being beyond human comprehension, mm-hmm. we can't then turn around and say, now let me tell you all about God. Yeah. Because, well, you just said God is being beyond human comprehension. So I'm trying to take it back to like a, a, a different posture, like I think a better way to approach God and theology is more from a place of mystery. Um, and we can get into this too, but I, I also suggest a, a different way uh, to approach that of knowing God, yeah. which is not, I don't, which is not through information. Yeah. Well, so my, so the, the first thing that I highlighted in the book and, and I want to be clear. So the poems that are spread out throughout the book, those are you, right? Like I've never oh, read, yeah, I've never those, read yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. There's two poems sort of in the book that, yeah, that I wrote those. Yeah. So the one that begins the book, I'm curious because I want to rip apart a specific stanza because it's an overall, yeah. it's an apophatic, apophat, I don't know how to say that word. I think I said it right this late at night. Um, there's <laughs> and, a, and, I, and you're not the one drinking. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how you say that word, apophatic poem, um, uh-huh. which is a fancy word. And I'm gonna let people Google it um, because I don't feel like explaining it. You, you can if you want, but I just don't feel like it. Um, but was that poem written after the entire corpus of the book 
or did you write that like years ago and it was something that kind of led into this? Because you, yeah, you talk I, about, you know, we need to talk about God entirely differently. Yes. Um, I wrote it uh, chronologically. I think I, I wrote it before, uh, well, at least before I finished writing the book. I may have been, I may have started writing the book. Mm. Um, yeah. It, the poem just kind of came to me. Uh, and I think actually I, it was, it, that poem was a blog post. Mm. Uh, in in the form that it's in, I might have tweaked it slightly by the time I, I got it into the into the book, but um, yeah, it kind of came, I would say, uh, before or at least during writing the book. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to edit your stanzas because there are, there are five lines that to me are are the overall theme of the poem. So um, there is a mystery that seeks to confound you when you speak of all you know of God, which is nothing. You speak more of yourself than God. And it's that next to last line that you speak more of yourself. Like, mm. can you rip that part apart? Yeah. Um, well, because what we end up saying about God often is really more of a reflection of, of who we are and where we are um, than it is honestly saying anything that we know with any sort of certainty about God. Um, you know, there's a... There's a quote, I mean, St. Augustine said something, it was like, and I quote this in the book, you know, um, if you understand it, it isn't God. Mm. Uh, well, it's something, but, but that isn't what that isn't God. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm going with that, with that statement. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm going to skip around Keith and I should have asked you yeah, ahead of time, but the book's already out. So I can quote your book to you because someone that's else right, already please. has. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. So there is a part um, in the intro actually, um, which I don't know if that is the intro. I can't remember if the intro is you or if that is, um, yes, it the, is. Yeah. Yeah, the forward, the forward is Steve McVeigh. That's it. Yeah. Um, and then everything else after that is me. Yeah. So you say to experience God is to become acquainted with awe. Um, mm-hmm. and then later on in chapter two in rethinking how we know you quote John 17, three, I think it's, it's John 17. Yes. It could be five. It could be three. I don't have the scripture verse written down, but I, I like the book of John. So 17, three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that as that to know is being a different no than the word that we use for no. And that is an yes. awful sentence, especially when I know I'm going to transcribe this later and I'm not going to know where to put the commas. But what is the difference between knowledge and experience and its relationship with awe? Because I don't think that we think about those words in the same way that you're treating them in your book. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, I guess I'll address specifically the, the question about John 17, 3. And again, that happens early on in the book because that, this is establishing some things I really want to um you know, make clear, so a paradigm shift basically that I'm, that I'm working on in the book. And that is this idea of um, what Jesus says in John 17, 3, quite often, you and I have talked about things like this quite often in the past, um, that are English translations that most of us have on our shelf or that we, use, that we go to when we're trying to understand, you know, theology and God and things like that. Don't, sometimes don't do us a lot of favors. So because Greek and Hebrew are much more nuanced uh, languages, uh, you know, and then when you translate it into English, a lot of times you, you're losing the, you know, the depth of the meaning of the word. And so it's not incorrect to read an English translation where Jesus says in John 17, 3, uh, eternal life is this, to know God 
and his son, whom he has sent. The problem is, in English, if you just say, you know, if you read that and you say, oh, well, then eternal life is to know God. Um, in our modern evangelical Christian, you know, the way at least I was raised, knowing God is about having the right information about God. It's, 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 uh, we read it as if that's what Jesus means. That, okay, well, it's very important that I know the right information about God or that I know, um, you know, the details, the data. I can pass this theological quiz. And, and that's been actually been my experience growing up in Christianity. It was very much my experience that, that in Christianity that um, that's, that was the most important thing. I had to get my theology right. I had to have all the right information, the right doctrines, etc. But that is not... That is not at all what Jesus means there. So in the Greek, uh, there's sort of two words, two main words that, that, that Jesus could have used there. If he meant what I just said, this idea of knowing God through uh, having the right information, this sort of head knowledge of God, um, if that's what he meant, knowing God like that, which I think most of us assume, mm-hmm. then he would have used in the Greek, it would, in the Greek, if you go to that, that text, it would have said um, episteme. Episteme is having the right information. But that is not the word he uses. He uses a, a, a very scandalous word, frankly. I think it's a very shocking word if you really do understand the Greek, because what he says is that we should gnosko God and his son. And gnosko is the, is the same word you would use if you were going to talk about how a husband, you know, uh, a man on his wedding night gnoskoed. He, he knew his wife, and she conceived a child. That's... The gnosko, that, that's the word he uses for to know God and his son. So that is not information. That, that is the absolute, you know, totally different direction from that. So if we can understand, like, it, it should be a breathtaking, scandalous, shocking, like, whoa, what? Jesus is saying that eternal life is to know God and, and to know Jesus with this level of intimacy that's similar to what a, to way a husband knows his wife, so that it would concede new life within you. That now that's a pretty amazing thing, and I I think that is sort of some of the things we've missed when it comes to us talking about and thinking about our, our relationship with God. Mm. Um, and so that's that's where I'm coming from on this idea of like this. I think we need to shift our, our way of thinking when we when we think about knowing God. I think we should be talking about it in those terms, knowing God and knowing Christ in this deeply intimate experiential way. And for me, that's when it gets to this idea of awe, mm. where it becomes like, man, I, I can't believe I am being invited into a connection with the creator of the universe that is that deep, that intimate, that personal, um, and then that has that goal, that the goal of it is this sort of, the, the conceiving of a new life within me, a transformational process. Yeah. So I said this before, you know, it's not it, that the gospel is not about information. It's about transformation. Yeah. That's one of the key things that I want us to uh, understand in this book. Yeah. yeah it's also, a, that's also a part that I highlighted in yellow, uh, electronically mm-hmm. highlighted, but, but highlighted nonetheless. <laughs> so thinking about, all right, how do I want to frame this? Because it's going to feel like a tongue in cheek, passive aggressive, smart ass remark, like just, Thanks for yeah. thanks for letting me know that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but but I don't know how else to ask it. So, thinking about God in that manner or Christ in yeah. that manner, what 
purpose should dogma or belief, and by belief I mean what you think you understand about God, yes. because it's true to you, you know, deeply true to yes. you, based on paying attention to details to the divine in the same way that you would pay attention to details to someone that you deeply love. Yeah. Like what purpose does dogma hold, or for that matter, telling anybody about it? Um, because I think the way that we love people in the culture that we live in now is that is like, that happens in my four walls and yes. what happens with me and my wife is none of anyone's business. Mm-hmm. I don't, hopefully that question makes sense. Um, cause that's like, what is the purpose of, of any doctrine or dogma with that view of, of the divine? Well, no, I think it's a good question. Um, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that. Yes, there are there are these sort of two things. There's orthodoxy, which is the, your, those doctrines and beliefs and things you think you know about God, your best guess, mm-hmm. right? Although, again, I, I'm urging people in the book to, to acknowledge that it's their best guess, that, that you don't have certainty about those things. You believe, you, you, you believe, you think, you hope, yes. Um, but you can't, you can't say you're certain about any of those things. But that's okay. If we all have beliefs and we all, you know, we all have our... Uh, our doctrines and the things that we hold on to. Uh, and so, of course, we have those things. Uh, that would be our orthodoxy. I think, though, what Jesus emphasizes more is the orthopraxy of those uh, the, those core sort of beliefs about who God is and what God is like and, and then how we interact with God. Hmm. So in your, in your analogy, yeah, the... Um, the mechanics and the the uh, the actual um, activity of of you and your wife having these kind of connections and emotional you know and intimacy um, happens in private. That's between you and and your spouse, and, I, and the same for me and my wife. But at the same time, it's not as if when we're out in public, you don't notice that we love each other. You know what I mean? Mm. Like to the to the depth and degree that we, there is. That de- that depth and that intimacy and that sincere, genuine love and respect we have for one another, that will be reflected when we go out in public, right? It won't be, you know, are they together? Are they married? I, you know what I mean? You would you pick up on at least the reality of that relationship and that connection, right? Mm. So, um, I think it's uh, again just for me, at least for myself. Um, that's why I think the orthopraxy is so important. Um, and I, I would like for us to maybe turn the weight back towards the emphasis on the orthopraxy side of it, um, less so than the or the belief side of it. And again, I feel like this is something Jesus does as all the time, and I feel like Paul does this. Like this is this is New Testament, you know, um, teaching here. That mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Like, yeah, Jesus. One of my favorite, one of my other favorite passages in John is when Jesus, you know, he washes his disciples' feet, and then he says you understand what I've done for you? You know, that I am your master. You call me master and Lord. Yep. That's who I am. But yet I have humbled myself and I've taken the form of a servant and I've washed your feet. And so you should do the same for one another. You also should humble yourself and wash one another's feet. And then he ends it with this, to me, the most powerful statement, one of the most powerful statements Jesus ever says. And he says, now that you know these things, in that case, he does use episteme. Mm. Now that you know these things, You'll be blessed if you do them. Mm. And I think I spent so much of my own uh, spiritual life growing up believing that I was blessed if I knew it. 
and knowing it, the epistemate, having the, having the head knowledge and having the doctrines, having the theology, that if I had all that, that's how I'm blessed. And Jesus says, no, it, you're blessed when you put those things you know into practice. You're living those things out in a real, actual way. And I think that that starts with this intimacy that we have with God and with Christ on this deeply personal level that that is something very real for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I say also in the book, it's closer. So, so I think we should, I think the goal is that we should become people who are less capable of explaining and describing and defining that, that awareness of God and that, that knowing of God, but we are more than capable of experiencing that. Hmm. And again, that, that's where I want, that's where I'd like us to, uh, at least what I'm trying to do in my own life. Uh, but I'm in the book, I'm trying to encourage others to, to kind of also, uh, see that and begin moving also in a similar direction. Yeah. So chapter four, made me deeply uncomfortable and I still don't know why. I think it's because of the type of like church I was raised in. Um, yeah. cause you talk a lot about prayer in chapter four. You begin with a story about, um, you know, you were basically the way that I read that, um, this sniper story that you had there is it reminded me of those Facebook ads that says, Hey, stop real quick and try to shoot this robber. And you never can cause you have to download the app instead to do it. You know? Of course. Um, yeah. Like, all of chapter four, like like the praying in tongues, I believe is in chapter four or speaking in tongues or yeah. however, like all yeah. of that I'm uncomfortable with. And right. I don't actually know why it's right. a me thing, but sure. what am I to do with, with chapter four? Like that is quite literally what I wrote down. It, my, my, my question actually says chapter four, holy cow. Can I be honest? What am I supposed to do with this? Like that is right. my question that I wrote down that I wanted to ask. You. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, it's funny because there's a there's there's a lot in chapter four. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I think the majority of chapter four really is a series of personal stories mm-hmm. of myself. Yeah, just wave um, after wave. And to be clear, yeah. I read that while my daughter was doing gymnastics. And so I'm reading it on my, I think I had my computer, I'm reading through it, you know, while they're doing their thing. And it literally kept shutting it. Like, I, I can't read anymore. Because like, I just, I don't know why. I just, yeah. it may, I, I, but I know that's a me thing because other people tell stories like that. Sure. Maybe it's because I feel like I know you better than I probably do. <laughs> but like, I don't know. I Like, I genuinely don't know what to do with that. Right. Well, I mean, let me ask you, does it, does it, does it bother you that I'm having sharing these experiences or, or are you reading with a level of skepticism? Like, Oh, come on. That didn't happen. No, um, no, not skepticism. More like I've never experienced anything like that. Okay. Like, right. like if I was to try to explain to you and I'm not going to equate the two, but this is just the only experience that I can come up with off the top of my head. Like yeah. I, like I, where I live is beautiful in a weird way. And like, I can't describe a sunrise specifically because it's always foggy and I live on a mountain. And so you literally drive through a golden fog almost every morning, but the colors change and sometimes there's rainbows in front of you as you're driving. But I also, but that doesn't do it justice, but that doesn't make it any less true. And like, and that was my experience, but I, I would never be able to write it down, but to hear someone else, they would go, Oh, that's cool. But they haven't experienced it. And so I'd never experienced prayer or God really in this manner. Um, And so I think that's why I'm so uneasy with it for the same reason that like, I think someone that is terrified of 
not terrified, that doesn't understand how big um, holes can be when they show up to the Grand Canyon and they're like, wow, this is a big, I didn't know they did this. I, I've only seen, <laughs> like, I didn't know the, the earth did this. I read about yes, it, but exactly. I didn't, you know what I mean? So yes. I think that's why I'm uncomfortable. Like, it's just so foreign to the way that I experience right. God. Right. And then, you know, so I think part of what I, a couple of reasons why I, I put all so many of those, like you said, one after the other kind of personal stories like that in the book Two was two reasons. One, honestly, my wife, Wendy read the first draft of the book and said, cause it was just all like, you know, me, me, me making comments on scriptures and quoting other people and kind of all up in my head, kind of explaining stuff. And, and, and she said, um, no, you need more personal stories in this. People need to know that you've experienced the stuff you're talking about. Mm. And so I was like, okay. So, okay, I went back and I, that's why in chapter four, I just kind of shared several different stories that, um, that are things I've experienced. And that's not even all of them, to be honest, but, mm. but those are the, probably some of the more significant ones. Um, so that was part of the reason. But the other reason is um, I wanted people to, Maybe, maybe even for like you, like people like yourself, because because I've learned over the years, it took me a while. To, I'm sorry to say, it took me a while to figure this out. Not everybody has had these kinds of experiences that I ha- that I've had. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, I just assumed, oh yeah, you know, Christians, we have these kinds of things all the time. You know, um, I, I had this happen to me, and you tell me what happened to you. I'm like, wow, isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it, it took me actually during our house church experience. Um, you know, there were people that are part of our group that would just say like, yep, God, I don't feel like God's ever talked to me like that. Or I, mm-hmm. I've never had any kind of like word of knowledge or wisdom. I'd never seen a vision. I've never, you know, had this really intense spiritual experience like that. And that was the first time I really realized like, oh, yeah, well, we're all different, aren't we? Like, mm-hmm. we don't all have that same kind of place. Now, at the same time, and I think later on in the book, I, I get into this um so even though I, I think most of us, not, not all of us have the same kind of spiritual experiences like this with God, it's not that I don't think we're all capable of it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think, well, some people do and some people don't. Like, I mean, I think that's true, mm. but I think for the people that don't, um, I, I don't think it's impossible for for uh, for us to have these kinds of experiences. Now, that may not be exactly like this. That may not be as intense or as frequent. Um, but I think our ability to, you know, hear the voice of God, to experience the presence of God, um, I think it's going to be different for everybody. I do, I do believe that. I have learned, like, through my Square One group, and I've had so many different people, you know, share different stories, and we, we talked about this specific thing um, with people that, I think a lot of, a lot of times we may be experiencing something profound, something spiritual, some, some connection with God, but we just don't know to call it that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I deal with that later on in the book. Um, yeah. and I'm saying, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make anyone uncomfortable no. by telling those stories, but so, I, yeah. I wanted to at least say, look, Hey, these things do happen. At least these are some things that have happened to me. Yeah. Um, and if nothing else, maybe spark a little bit of curiosity, like, wow. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me back up a second. So, um, uncomfortability is something I'm okay with. I'm totally fine with it. 
Uh, I usually get grown and stretched. I don't, I've never seen God in the way that you describe. And I'm intentionally not describing them because quite honest, I don't know what my follow-up questions would be. And so I'm just uncomfortable already. Sure. There. Um, though sure. I do want to talk about time, which is at the and end of, of chapter four. Of book, yeah. yeah. Um, but before I get there, so I experience God in ways that I can't describe um, because it's not yeah. wrapped to like a sto- like an experience that has been verified but like you tell yeah. the story of like you and your son, there's a story with you and your yeah. father. Like there are all yeah. these other stories. I don't have that. Um, Got it. But like I see the way that I see, like I see God um, in humans all the time, which really yes. sounds simple and stupid. But if no, you don't, no, don't look for so. it, you don't see it. And yeah. it, 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 it equally makes me very angry at times um, because I get, I don't know why I just get angry. And other times I'm deeply like moved. Yeah. when I see that, uh, depending on the situation. So that's sure. uh, a very general answer, but I don't feel like getting into more details than that. So this is the part of the show that there should be ads, right? Because we live in a capitalistic world and everything has to get paid for. But that's just not the way that I want to do it. So if you feel led, support the show on Patreon. I do absolutely need you. But if you don't, I'm not going to put any ads here because I just don't feel like it. Hopefully you do, though. The amount that you support will not change the benefits that you get. And so with that said, let's get back to the show. Um, yeah. yeah. So no, you, towards the end of chapter four, you talk about time, space, perception, reality, um, yes. and you capitalize the terms time and space, which I'm curious as to why those are capitalized or if that was not intentional. Actually, it has to be intentional because you capitalize yeah, it, was, it. It was intentional. Yeah. Yes. So why capitalize them? And what does time and space have to do with the way that we experience God? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I capitalize them, I think, just because I want, I, I want people to, I want to emphasize that what I'm talking about is the, the this concept of time or mm. this concept like capital T time, capital S space um, as these um, massive sort of like the, the dimensions of space and time. And I don't know if that's grammatically correct. Maybe I'm wrong to do that, but um, <laughs> well, you started um, with Mysterium. So the rest of the grammar doesn't sure, matter. Sure. Exactly. Why, why bother? <laughs> why, why pretend? Um, but, um, but I mean, yeah. So like you say, you know, what does that have to do with our experience of God? Well, I mean, it's the right now in this physical body, in this reality that we're living in, it's really the only grid and filter that we have to experience anything, right, is in time and in space. Like this, these are the dimensions that we are operating in. Um, And so we can't help but experience God, you know, through time and through space. What I'm trying to do in the book, um, and this, it's again, it's something I'm just, at the end of chapter four, I'm just beginning to kind of sprinkle in where we're going down the road, which is much more deeper into science and biology and mm-hmm. quantum and all kinds of stuff. I will say, um, I'm glad that you went there because it, it was reassuring to the way that my brain works to have all of these things that I could latch yeah. onto that I could Google and less yeah. experiential. So I appreciate you doing that. Like yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's something where like when I was doing research for the book, um, I started reading like Carlo Rovelli, who's a phenomenal quantum physicist. 
Uh, he calls himself a theoretical physicist. Um, and he's written several amazing books um, on things like, I think he has a book called Reality is Not What It Seems. And again, from a total scientific, he's not even, he's not a theist, but just from a total um, scientific perspective, looking at time and space and concluding things like time isn't real. Mm. Um, and uh, what, you know, like what? So you know, when I'm studying these things, and I'm, I, I felt like, like I was connecting some dots for myself, like, okay, wow. Like, of course, if we're talking again about this God, who is this being who transcends knowledge, who is, who is beyond human comprehension, then of course this God has to transcend time and space. God is not limited by those things. My perception is limited by those things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I can't confuse my perception of those things, which is limited with, with a, my perception of a God who is, um, who I relate to through time and space, but is not limited at all by time and space. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually use time and space as the words that I use when I try to explain God to my kids, um, which happens frequently. What I'll tell them is whatever it is that we worship, um, it exists at a rate that you and I can attain or try to, but is Mm -hmm. also outrunning light and an expanding universe, which is also outrunning that light. Uh And somehow it's bigger than that. And so that's what, that's what we worship. And it's like, I don't, but that doesn't make any sense. Like it, it literally makes no sense, but I don't know how else to say. Again, so much of this is, I think that's exactly right, Seth, because like so much of, if we're going to talk about God, I mean, I think going back to that poem in the, in the poem, I say something like, you know, don't talk to me of all that you know of God, which is pretty, pretty practically nothing. Mm -hmm. Let's talk instead of all that you don't know about God or what you don't understand about God. And see, to me, that's what you just said, Mm. right? Yes. God is this being who somehow is outpacing light and the expansion of the universe. Now I don't understand that, but that at least I think is closer to, to, to reality than, than any other conception of God I could have. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. So in chapter seven, you pivot into quantum theology, which is just mm-hmm. a fun, um, like I, I, I started internally calling it Schrodinger theology, but it's the same <laughs> thing. But sure. there's a quote in there from Sir James Johns, Jeans. I don't know what the nationality James is. Jean. Yes, um, I love this quote. Yeah. The stream of knowledge is heading towards a non-mechanical, non-material reality. The universe begins to look more and more like a great thought than a great than than like a great machine. And then this is the part that caught me. So mine no longer appears to be an accidental intruder into the realm of matter. We ought rather hail it as the creator and governor of the realm of matter. Mm -hmm. Can you break that apart a bit? Because those are big implications. And there were a lot of words there, even though I mumbled a few of them. Like, what is that? If you could open that up a bit for people. Well, I will try. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, this is the reason why I... I started researching and reading all these quantum physicists because um, like that quote, I love that quote. Um, so I guess to, I, I, it's better to put it in some context, right? So um, Sir James Jean is a world renowned physicist. I mean, very highly respected. He's not some quack somewhere, you know, off on the side, like, oh, he's actually a dentist. No, he's like, no, he's a quantum <laughs> physicist. He's a real, a real guy. I mean, he's, he writes things that are, that appear in science, which is like the highest peer reviewed, reviewed scientific journal, you know, in the world. Um, 
So when someone like that, I mean, we, we have to first know who these people are that are speaking. They're not weirdos. Um, so when they go in, in print and they, they, they publish a statement like this, which again is being, it's, it's, a, it's something that's being published to be read by other, you know, quantum scientists and physicists and things like that. And so this is who he's talking to. You know, he's not, I don't know that he would even bother to try to say this out to the general public. But these are the things that he's saying as a, as a physicist to other physicists to, to say that what they, what they are learning through quantum science is leading them, uh, some of them kicking and screaming, to, to acknowledge this reality um, of what he says, this idea that the universe, again, just paraphrasing what he says, that the universe, we can no longer think of the universe as a great machine, meaning it's not just matter. Um, it's not just physical, you know, atoms and molecules and, you know, uh, things like that. Because, again, um, science, scientists for the, for the longest time have really been, um, you know, they're, 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 they don't believe in, basically, they don't believe in the spiritual, they don't believe in anything they can't scientifically prove. So that's why this, this quote is so powerful, because because of what they're seeing with quantum, it is leading them to make statements like this, which essentially are saying the universe is not a mechanical thing. It's not just matter. Uh, it's not just physical. That there is a, when he says um, that instead it's a great thought or a consciousness, right? And I have also watched um, interviews and, and lectures by some of these quantum physicists when they are coming to the same conclusions or talking about the same things they're discovering through quantum science, and they'll stop themselves and say, okay, now I know I sound like a theologian right now, or I know I sound like a metaphysical you know, philosopher right now, because they hear themselves. I mean, it makes them nervous. Like they, they don't like that this is what the science is telling them, but the science seems to be telling them that, yes, consciousness has more to do with our universe than just the mere mechanics of it. Yeah. Um, and again, what, why that's exciting to me is that it, it, it feels like we're living in a time uh, in history where because of the advances in quantum physics and quantum science, scientists are beginning to acknowledge some spiritual realities that mystics have known for a long, long time, mm. right? Um, and that's why it's fascinating to me when you start seeing them echoing and affirming some of these ideas that um, – like another idea is this idea that um, I think I think even Carlo Rovelli says this that it's an allu the, the the idea of illusion and separation like individual objects in space um, we see them as separate individual objects like the chair is not the table and mm -hmm. the table is not the your car in the driveway okay and so that just seems intuitive duh of course mm -hmm. not but again on the quantum level what what they are seeing is that Yes, it appears that those things are different objects in the material world, but at the quantum level, they are all the same quantum field, but what you are seeing and experiencing are different expressions of the yeah. one quantum field. Yeah. That's where it starts to break your brain. Yeah. Um, and then this gets down again to this, on the spiritual level to this idea of, well, we're not, there is no separation between anything in the universe. Everything is one thing. Everything is one shared. Oh, here we go. We're getting weird now. 
some <laughs> shared consciousness or some shared life yeah. or yeah. Um, force or you know the, they call it the, the the quantum field but whatever yeah. you call it yeah there's a level of understanding that this is the this this is the sort of the basement of reality and this is what it looks like which you know either makes you really nervous or makes you really excited so <laughs> me, it kind of, me it kind of makes me excited i'm like yeah. wow this is really cool. yeah i wonder if the way that quantum scientists have to give the caveat of i i might sound like a theologian here if like ministers and and like professors should have to say i might sound like a quantum scientist here but go <laughs> right, with me um yeah that would be right. fun yeah so i don't remember with a book but i remember reading it um and i don't remember the book because it was sent to me um before it was printed so like literally loose leaf sheets of paper and so i read it yeah. that way which was a fun way to read a book never read a book that sure. way um sure. but it was by jim danaher which if you've never had him on your show you should have jim on the show jim is okay. freaking brilliant um but he says in the first book that i read of his which is not his first book um that like prayer and like knowing and love are like an act of expression of like entirely focused attention it's like when you pray you pray in silence and the way that you know that you're there is because your attention is just so focused that all you hear is nothing and also all you hear is everything because yes. you're finally paying attention to the things that you don't quite understand um yeah. and that's a bad paraphrase from something i read four years ago but it's a quote that has stuck with me and so um that's wow. not quite right but it's it's close to that um which makes me think a little bit of what you're saying and then you say even on later on somewhere in a different chapter i can't remember the chapter it's towards the back third of the book of that we exist just because god observes us god creates things by simply looking at us which makes me think of what you just said and then that yes. also makes me think of a pete holmes sketch which i don't know if you've ever seen it um you know pete holmes the comedian yes yes he has a bit it's from four or five years ago maybe seven years ago and it was like his first, it was, it was the first big bit that he'd done after crashing became a show on HBO, which if you never watched that, it's a hilarious show. Um, mm -hmm. He's like, let me tell you about things that don't make sense. He's like, you and I were made of molecules and atoms and electrons and he's quarks and all this other stuff. He's like, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, and your eyes would tell you that this phone is different. And that doesn't make sense. He's like, but that's also, it's so some of my molecules have just moved into this phone and some of its molecules have moved into me, but we're also the same and we're also separate. That doesn't make any God sense. And he <laughs> yes. just keeps getting progressively further. I think I have seen yeah. that clip actually. Yes. It's absolutely amazing. Hilarious, but also like accurately but describes true. what you're saying. Like, he's like, I don't, what well, doesn't make any sense. And we're laughing about it. And I'm laughing, yes. you know, I don't know. So it just makes me, it just makes me think yeah. of that. Yeah. The, um, the, the other idea, which we don't really have time to rip apart is the idea space, which is something that I then began to buy books about. And so my wife would oh, like really? to, yeah, yeah no, my, that's fascinating. I, I, I was so excited to write a book that I could talk about idea space because I am so fascinated by that concept. Well then do it. Take as long as you want. <laughs> it, 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 no really? one's awake, but you and I, yeah, go for it. All right, I don't, I don't want to take us too far off, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's in the book idea space. Yeah. I, so, so I guess to summarize it, um, the idea space came about because, um, people started noticing, and I, I document this in the book. I've got dates and names, and you can look it all up. I, I did I, I did tons of research on this, um, and it's such an amazing thing. So, like, going back to, like, the, I think even as far back as maybe the 1500s, 1600s, you know, but way, way, way back, before there was telephone, internet, uh, any kind of sort of global or even communication that was instantaneous like we have today, and that's important. You're going to see why. So go way, way back, you know, to those days, 
um, when there was not interaction between people around the globe. And people started noticing that in science, um, in medicine, in uh, mathematics, um, multiple people, two or three people at a time, would have the same discovery, would, would have the same aha moment all across the globe at the same time and with no communication or connection with each other. No internet, you know, no telephone, not like, hey, Fred, I, I just found this. Oh, yeah, me too, right? So, in other words, they didn't discover it until most of them, like, went and applied for a patent or they went to publish something at the same time and it'd be like, oh, well, you have a book on this, but so does this guy. And so it just started happening, and it's, I think it's called uh, the principle of dual discovery. It's, it's dual discovery, but sometimes it's more than more than two. So two or three people, maybe sometimes four people, will discover in certain thing or invent the same thing or have the same, you know, uh, aha moment. And and it just keeps happening. So it, it's happening all the way up into modern times where, it, again, this, this thing just keeps happening. So um, dual discovery, I'm sorry, uh, idea space was sort of a way that people started trying to figure out why does this keep happening? Like it, it, it doesn't make any sense. They, you know, some of these people don't even speak the same language. You have a French guy and an Italian guy and a German guy and like they live in different places. They don't talk to each other. And yet they all have, at the same time, we're talking weeks or, you know, uh, days apart, and they're having these same discoveries and, and um, you know, like inventions and things like this. And so idea space, the idea was like, well, then there must be sort of, again, this, this is going to sound super weird, but it, it's as if those ideas already exist, like they, those, or, or that those ideas sort of pop into being, let's say, at, at the same time, that idea pops into being. And if your antenna is up, in sort of this idea space, going back to your, that your quote about paying attention and focusing, right? Mm -hmm. So you're thinking about something, you're focused on something, you're searching for something, you know, you're looking for something, you're seeking for something, you know, Jesus says, you knock and the door will be open, seek and you will find. So people are seeking and looking and thinking and studying and focused. And because they are doing that all at the same time, multiple people around the world at the same time will catch that same idea. They'll go, ah, there it is. And then, then it just becomes a race to who can publish it first or get it out there first. But um, so it, it's the the uh, the suggestion that um, that this is where ideas come from. Mm. That ideas basically sort of pop into being, uh, and I guess you could say in in like a collective unconscious, right? This this is something Carl Carl Jung talked about um, that there is a collective unconscious that all humans sort of tap into. Um, and the thing is, we're all tapped into it, but we don't all sort of catch the same thing because we're not all focused or thinking or looking for that kind of thing. Um, but those who are will catch it at the same time. Mm. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really amazing. I actually came across it initially through uh, some science fiction writers that I was that I really like, and they were doing an interview, and they brought it up, and I was like, huh, that's crazy. And then I started researching it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this – I. This is really, really fascinating. Mm. So yeah, I, I just I love that. I really love that whole idea of idea space. It definitely was. Yeah, and you're not wrong. So like you list you listed a few out. There's a bunch. You can just Google it, and there are many, 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 many other examples. So I wanna I wanna try to wrap this last question before I ask my actual last question. Um, okay. In a way of summarizing a chapter the best that I can internally. So in chapter ten, strange cre- strange frequencies. Um, which is also 
very fast, like something that I, that I wasn't aware of. Um, the way that like harmon harmon harmonies and there's a, a there's a I forget the word that you use. It starts with a C, like sim symbatic, symbaltic, symbatic. Yeah, um, and did not write the word down. Um, so thinking about that, you and I as being images of of the divine. So with all of this like wondrous overwhelming cacophonous musical rhythm between you and I and the world that we live in mm -hmm. and knowing that things exist because we observe them in the same way that things exist because God observes them. And I, I do think that you've, you've said that well, like I never thought about it that way, but the more I've thought about it, I'm like, yeah, that actually feels good. Like that feels right. Um, mm -hmm. Because again, it's just intention. Um, and it also yeah. bears things out of love because that's what attention is. Yes. What or why can we possibly hate? Because that those two don't stand together with me, but obviously mm -hmm. we do. Yes. So what do I do with that? Like what or why or I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it, that definitely becomes sort of the begging the question, right? I think the more you do start to recognize like, oh, my gosh, all of us are so impossibly connected with God, right? Um, we all have this incredible connection with God and then therefore by implication one another again, because if this quantum field thing is correct, then it's not me and you, you, you and I are both expressions of the same field, the same thing. I, I would call that God. I mean, science is calling that quantum. I mean, to me, I can't help as someone raised as a Christian, but to go back to this idea that, well, no, Christ is the one you know, that, you know, all things were made by him for him and through him and nothing was made that, you know, without him and, and that he, he's Christ sustains all things. And, you know, Christ is our life and all these things. So that's what I, that's how I understand that. So like, Oh my gosh, if, if as Jesus said, you know, I'm in the father and the father's in me and I am in you. Okay. Wow. So there's an amazing, mind blowing, beautiful implication. Like that. It's something that I really, I think you could meditate on it for the rest of your life. You know, it's just so powerful and profound and beautiful. Like, man, I am so deeply connected to God. Um, and again, it just, it pulls back, it pulls into me all these other statements like Paul makes about, we are filled with the fullness of him, him who fills everything in every way. And, um, you know, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God, angels, demons, height, depth, even death, death itself, nothing will separate you from this love of God. Um, wow, you know, that's just so amazing. But again, it's, if you really, 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 really get it, if you meditate on it for a little bit, you really start to understand that it's not just that I'm this deeply connected to this God who is love. And, and if you are too, then by implication, I'm also connected to you and everyone else in the universe. Mm. And so, yes, then it, it definitely does beg the question of like, if we really get it, if we could really grasp this, or at least begin to, to hope, to believe that this is real, this is reality, this is truth. It's truth that we see in the scripture, it's truth that we see Jesus and, and affirming and Paul affirming. We see it, in, uh, I mentioned this in the book, we see it affirmed in many other religions, many other faiths. Um, now we're seeing it affirmed in quantum science and things like this. Like, we have to get it. Like, this is a big deal. This is a, a fundamental Thing about who we are and and who God is and who everyone else is, and if we really get it, 
then we would truly understand the meaning of when Jesus says things like, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done it to me. Because you, you and I are connected. Like, whatever I'm doing to you, I'm doing to Christ. Whatever you do to me, you're doing to Christ. But I'm also, whatever I do to you, I'm doing to myself. Mm. Because we are so connected, this idea of abiding, when Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you, there's a whole other word study you could do about abide. Like abide, and he's the, the metaphor of the vine and the branch. Mm. Can you show me, draw me a line on, on a, like pull pull off a limb, you know, of, of like a, a grapevine or something, and show me, draw me a line with a marker. Where does the vine end and the branch begin? You can't. It's, it's the vine and the branch is one big yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. And so there is a level of oneness there that if we really get it, we would truly love our brother as ourselves, love our neighbor as ourselves, because we realize that we are connected. We are inseparable from Christ and from one another in this really beautiful way. Yeah. Um, it, it, to me, it connects almost every dot. It pulls everything together in such a beautiful way. Yeah. And I think if we really did get it, then we would, we, we, we can't go to war. I can't, I can't do violence to you. I can't, I can't even lie to you. Why would I do that? I'm, I'm harming you. Right. Because I recognize that we are the same. You know, we have, we're, we're, we're more connected than I could even imagine. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, um, my favorite question, I think I've asked this of you before. Maybe I didn't ask it of you. It doesn't matter. So when you want to, which is funny because you begin the book with things that we can't know or say about God. Um, so when you want to wrap words around whatever it is, I say, Hey Keith, when you say God, what do you mean? What is that? Oh, so so you're asking me what I, when I say God, what do I mean? Yeah, or divine, or whatever word you want to put there. Like, yeah. what what is that? Oh man, well, <clears throat> it's hard, isn't it? It's it's hard to express this into words. Um, I guess what I'm realizing is most of the ways, the majority of my life, uh, the the ways, the language I was given, the concepts I was given, I'm just more and more realizing how inadequate they are to describe God. Like, um, I think even the English language is so, it's, 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 it just isn't equipped. It wasn't designed. The English language is not designed to have any conversation about God. We can't say it because it's God is not an it. I can't even say he or she, because God is not, has no gender. God doesn't have any parts. You know, God isn't, God is a spirit. So, you know, uh, we have, we have some beautiful language, um, in the New Testament, right? That God is love. Um, I've been really, really inspired and blessed by reading and studying, you know, other outside of the Christian world and how they express God. And, and it's this beautiful, you know, a spirit, uh, a being, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, um, a being that deeply loves us, cares for us, created us, um, is connected to us, hasn't abandoned us, would never abandon us. But I mean, how do you, you know what I mean? I, I don't know that there's language. Uh, I guess more and more I'm feeling like I'm feeling frustrated that language just doesn't do a very good job mm. of expressing that. But, but at the same time, when I, when I take time to take a walk around the block or spend time in silence or, you know, walk in nature or talk to my wife or my kids or, you know what I mean? Like I, I definitely find myself, as you said, experiencing God in some profound ways. Again, just glimpses. You can never get the whole thing, mm. but you get glimpses and you go, ah, oh, there it is. Wow. You know, thank you. So, 
It's tough. It's, I, I don't know. Again, I, I definitely feel like someone who is less capable of defining and explaining, but I, I definitely am grateful that I'm capable of experiencing it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, when, what should, um, human beings that are listening to this, um, what should, where would you direct them to do the things in this world that they should be doing as it is to either support the work that you're doing or maybe have them go do something else? Like, where do you want people to go? Like a little call to action or whatever, like what should they be doing? (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, well, I mean, in just sort of a general sense, uh, other than, hey, buy my book or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, Do buy the book, read chapter four, and then come back and sure. listen to it. And if you're like me, you'll be like, oh, I see what he was doing. I see yes, why okay. I see why he was shivering in this chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, no, what I, I... I want people... I kind of I kind of end the book with this kind of idea too. Um, I want people to trust themselves and trust their own ability to to have these kinds of connections with God, to hear God's voice. I think so much of the theology, again, that I grew up with, tried to convince me that I, my thoughts were evil all the time, my heart is wicked and deceptive, I can't trust myself, I would don't do that, and all these little alarm bells go off, you know, like, oh, no, no, that's dangerous. But it's not. I mean, I, I want to tell you, if Jesus is the one telling you, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice, then you can. And it's not. it's less about your ability to do that correctly it's, it's more about the good shepherd's ability as the good shepherd to make his voice heard. Mm. Uh, he, you know what I mean? So trust that. The, the good shepherd is capable of being heard clearly. Um, don't worry about your ability to do that. Um, and, and so, yeah, learning to trust yourself um, and your own ability to know God that way, because I think that's what it's all about. Mm. Um, but when it comes to the other stuff, yeah, you know, if people want to, know more or they want to interact and stuff. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm happy to connect with people there in different ways like that too. I have, by the way, I have to, put, I have to mention my podcast. I have a, I have a new solo podcast that I do called second cup with Keith. Um, that's been a lot of fun. So anybody's curious about that, check that out on, uh, wherever you find podcasts. Did you start the second cup when you were driving at that job? And I want to say Utah, Idaho, I forget exactly where you were. Um, but yeah. I remember when you began those, is that the genesis of that whole concept or were you doing yeah, it before I, that? I started, well, yeah, I just started doing it on Facebook. I would just go live yeah. on video. While you Facebook were driving, right? Like going from here to yeah, there. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. I'd be driving in the yeah. car yeah. and second cup with Keith. Yes. Yeah. I remember that. And, um, yeah, I just decided I like that name and I decided, well, I, just, I want to do a podcast like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Keith, it's always a pleasure, man. I enjoy enjoy what you do, um, and and I and I enjoy the time. Thanks for sharing your time with me. Seth, I appreciate it so much, man. Thank you. I haven't added it up, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasts on the internet, and I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows. Not always in real time, but I do my best. And if you go back in the logs, you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like. The show is recorded and edited by me, but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show. That is one of the best, if not the best way that you can support the show. If you get anything at all out of these episodes, 
if you think on them or if you, you know, you're out and about and you tell your friends about it or, hey, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, boss, pastor, here's what I heard. What are your thoughts on that? If this is helping you in any way, and it is helping me, consider supporting the show in that manner. It is extremely inexpensive, but collectively, it is so very much helpful. Now for you, I pray that you are blessed and you know that you're cherished and beloved. We'll talk soon. Thank you.